Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young, Inviting the Muses. My house guests should be leaving August, the first week of August, so after August 7th, I should have a more regular upload schedule. Okay, we are on, I like this one too, The Artist as, as Wanderer. The artist is ever asking himself, what is reality and how much of it, color and light and sound, the dream of sound, depends on man, his constitution of dreaming senses dreaming this world. He dreams its toppling towers, clouds, citadels, constellations of firefly stars gleaming through fog, fireflies which have been believed by some people to be the scintillations of divinity, by others to be the souls of the dead, eyes of dolphins upon the flood, the dolphin which, like the rose, is a symbol of immortality, the eyes of long-haired horses in the wind by the mirroring surf, the horse which is a symbol of mother or of creation as the sea is a symbol of mother. There is one word for both sea and horse, mare, from which the word Mary comes. According to most religions, the language of symbol and sign is the language of God. In the beginning was the word, the image. In his poem, The Waves, Pasternak describes the sea as that place where all things meet, all that guided him through his life, his aspirations and foundations, and what he had witnessed with his eyes. Their waves are many, their count is infinity, they are countless, sunless, sumless, their sense as yet incomplete. But with their change all things are garbed, like singing sea with spray of waves, and finale, he asks, is this all real? Is it the time to run free? He craves surcease from dreams, craves to sleep eternally, sleep, 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 and shun all dreams. But can the artist cease to dream? He is a dedicated dreamer, exploring the dream, asking, is the dream real, or is reality the dream, or is there no reality but the dream? Reality encompasses many realities, many dreams of many individuals. Whatever artifice may seem to divide us, these dreams unite us in the great cons conspiracy and that super-reality which is man regardless of time or place. Perhaps all dreamers dream the same dreams, the dreams being essentially commonplace, even in their seemingly wildest moments. We dream in unfamiliar ways of mother, father, child, the most familiar things. We dream of unfamiliar things in familiar ways. The dream knows no objective time as it knows no death. We dream of the dead faces returning as if they were alive. The artist is like every other dreamer, except that he is perhaps more conscious of his dreams than most people, since he must weave by almighty will and order through this chaos. He must synthesize many visions in such a way that they may be recognized by others and outlast his time. Thus we see the work of the 12th century sculptor Giselle Bertus and all the wonder of the first creation when they first emerged from stone. Bernini's paintings are of pristine beauty now as in the day of their creation, or if anything, as we see in the work reproduced here, made more beautiful by the patina of time and long association. The artist illuminates the Stygian darkness of reality, interprets, defines, tries even to define the undefinable, casts a searchlight over man's soul. Art is nothing if it does not illuminate. Art is the deepest sense of the subjective, and it is impersonal. Evolving through many symbols, many dreams, many myths of creation, transcending the personal. Indeed, the myth may be that which, even when we do not consciously recognize it, elicits the wonder of our deepest recognition, 
seeming to express forgotten dreams, dreams long covered over by the dead weight of convention, dreams long buried in every man, yet awakening to sudden life. The myth gives elegance to a work of art, along with that quality of surprise which Pasternak said most courageously, for he was addressing an audience of Marxists, is the most important element of life. As Coleridge and Yeats and many others have pointed out, there can be no beauty without an element of strangeness in it. Surely we see the strangeness in the works of all the artists here. Gisselbertus, Bernini, Roald, Chagall, Sean. Some might call it magic, but it is that art which, as Thomas Mann once said, cannot be achieved without great suffering. Such strangeness is not easily attained. One of the great informative myths of creation is that of the eternal child, of birth and rebirth. The unquenchable spirit of man is symbolized by the eternally recurrent child, the child who never dies, the child in all of us. The child as hero is focused in the birth of Christ as a symbol of man and man's belief in a future life and resurrection in eternity. Indeed, the meanings of this Christ child are inexhaustible and infinite. That, I never thought of that. The child who never dies, a child in all of us. That was a whole new age thing back in the 80s. The, your inner child. I never thought of that. Even the oldest man dies as a little child. We are all as little children in the hand of God. God holds us in his hand with the ship, the mariner, the clouds of storm. We will all be as little children in the kingdom of heaven. In my father's house, according to Christ, are many mansions. Man dies, but he dies to be born again. As in our dreams, the dead live, or the old face may be seen as young again, for time is annihilated by the dream. Seldom do myths exist in a pure state. They contain within themselves the seeds of other myths, other meanings, sometimes their opposite. The infant Christ is that same infant who grew up and was crucified that man might live. The myth of life is as combined with that of death, as death may be combined with life. As when Christ, though dying upon the cross, which he carried to the place of crucifixion, said that he died but to return again. It would come like a beautiful surprise, something escaping dead time, cause and effect, the so-called laws of nature, the sterile logic of the murderer. His end would be a beginning. The cross is thus equated with the rose of many works of art as a sign of immortality, for so great is man's desire for eternal life and his quest for it that the cross becomes the rose. Sometimes the cross breaks into flowers. One sees this process of transmutation in Roald's painting the old king, his rose-colored flesh robe crowned the rose jewels of his crown. He who, as he dies, has closed his eyes upon the vision of the rose in his hand, the rose of immortal life. Perhaps the greatest symbol for the modern artist is the myth of the wandering Jew, he who has no place, he who must wander not merely from country to country, but from century to century, he who must wander through all of time, he who cannot die so long as history endures, perhaps not even then. He must wander like the dead moon, and yet he is not dead, though casting his illumination upon the darkness of this life. He is forever in motion, forever in flight, forever driven to and fro. He fords great rivers and crosses great mountains and seas. In the 20th century, he can remember the 19th century or a thousand years ago as if it were yesterday. He can remember all those fleeting moments, a woman playing a piano a hundred years ago, a hand in a doorway, the rustle of a silken robe, the unfurling of a flower, a raindrop splashing on the windowsill before the sage was born. Because of his protracted memory, he is an artist. All of history streams through his mind as if there were no past, as if there were an eternal now, an everlasting present, an everlastingly present moment. This wandering Jew never ceases to wander, never sleeps the sleep of death, is always conscious even of things beyond memory, even of the things buried in the unconscious, is perennially awake, unlike the phoenix who sings but once in a thousand years.
That's again, that's something that the New Age stuff latched onto as the everlastingly present moment to live in the now. Why would this wandering Jew have a special significance for so many artists and works of art, one may ask? There seemed to be more than one reason for the, his force, power, endurance. He seems to symbolize many people, many dreams of a life which escape its, escapes its normal limits. Perhaps we are aware of the artist's wander in our time because ours is a time of so many great social upheavals, so many people wandering and homeless, so many people displaced, so many fight, flights, exoduses, barriers, walls, concentration camps, isolations, desert lands created by atomic tests to illustrate the feasibility of mass murder, wars, rumors of wars. Perhaps at a time which threatens universal extinction, extinction alike to man and woman and babe and bird and butterfly and simple cows, dreaming in meadows and all the dreaming images of creation. We are attracted to him for the very reason that he cannot die, at least cannot die until the end of time, and time's end may be in God's calendar of timeless days and nights, times beginning through the long cycles of creation. Yet other times were tragic to the people living in them. There were always these flights, exoduses, persecutions, the flight out of Egypt, as depicted by Chagall, the flight into Egypt, as depicted by Gesselbertus, Roald, Bernini. When father and mother must flee with child, for Herod was about to search for the child to destroy him. The fruitful land made a desert, as in the biblical story, all its cities laid in ruins, every city taken to flight, all cities forsaken and no man dwelling in them. Is not Ben Shan's painting an extension of this theme of flight? All seem a living sign to us. Perhaps the wandering Jew attracts not only because he is the symbol of every man in our time, but because he is older than our time and will outlast our time. He is an archetype, a dream figure arising from the unconscious, a something in all of us. He is all wanderers. He is all of human history and its survival in the dream of flesh and blood. Oh, excuse me. Perhaps that is why Joyce chooses the wandering Jew, Mr. Bloom. As the vehicle of history in his epic novel Ulysses, fusing the wandering Jew with the wanderer Ulysses, showing that in the course of a single day, one may wander through centuries of time. Older writers, too, are fascinated by the wandering Jew. Edgar Allan Poe, himself a homeless wanderer all his life, touching upon this myth in many works. Melville, who begins his epic Moby Dick with the words, Call me Ishmael. Ishmael, too, was a wanderer. Perhaps all wanderers may be fused into one in the dreams of man, Wandering Jew with Ulysses, Ishmael, Ahab, the ancient mariner, Don Quixote, a mystic dreams for realities, realities for dreams. Huck Finn, who though believed dead was alive, and who drifted unable to pilot his course upon the mighty river of the dream and the reality. The artist is the wanderer, he is forever in flight. From symbol to symbol, dream to dream, conscious to unconscious, unconscious to conscious. Perhaps this flight comes from the very nature of art itself. The fact that there is nothing static, nothing dead, that movement is the essence of art as of life. The artist wanders not only in the exterior world, but also in the interior world of his mind or soul or memory, crossing the great seas wrapped in the fogs or clouds of their primeval mysteries, stark continents with strange beasts and birds, pinnacles of storm, valleys of shadow, moves through cycles of impossible return, moves not only through consciousness, but through unconsciousness. The unconscious is always illuminating, always musical, always in movement. A sea of metamorphosis, a ch of change from image to image. It is like the undulations of the sea or, or our memories of a sea origin. There is perhaps no great art without an awareness of this music. Art moves, breathes, transmutes, translates, turns time backward or forward, 
moves through all of time, even like the wandering Jew. It says that even in death there is no death, for we cannot truly die. We die into a sea of dreams from which we will awaken only to dream again. Perhaps it is well to recall here who this wandering Jew was, since one may think of one aspect or another without remembering all in an, an, in an organic pattern. This myth, like all others, is complex and not merely a simple statement. When Christ was on his way to the cross, a Roman soldier stepped out of the crowd and shouted, Where are you hastening? Christ replied, I hasten to the cross, but you will be here when I return. This reply is sometimes believed to have been a curse, but could it have been a benediction? Only in later versions did the skeptic become the wandering Jew, perhaps because there were so many persecutions of the Jews for a crime projected upon the Jewish scapegoat, a crime committed by all men who would kill the dreamer and the dream. Paradoxically, however, paradoxically enough, however, as this wandering Jew could not die, his presumed guilt takes on the aspects of eternal life, which Christ also promised and symbolized. <clears throat> he is a myth of resurrection and return, and that immortal life so great that the cross may be, as Rolt has shown in some of his paintings, a symbol of rebirth. According to one legend, the wandering Jew came to an alpine meadow sown with wildflowers. An angel stepped out of the cloud. Angels such as we see here accompanying the wanderers in Chagall's painting. Angels looking down upon the men, the women, the horses, the spheres. The wandering Jew said that he remembered when there had been a great city, where there was now this meadow of wildflowers. Where had that city gone? How long must he wander? The angel replied, When you return and find this great city again in this place, you will cease to wander. Perhaps the city was the city of paradise, which we all remember as in a dream, and which we all search for as wanderers on earth. We are caught between that which was and is no more, and that which is not and yet will be. Perhaps all dead cities will awaken, and all lost things will be restored. So the wandering Jew, a homeless outcast, is fused with the myth of Christ, also a wanderer over the face of the earth, one who had nowhere to lay his head. Ben Shawn's marvelously evocative painting of the Jewish father fleeing before the Nazis with the baby in his arms, a shrouded baby, a baby enveloped by pale light, like the cocoon which will be the butterfly of future life. The mother carrying a portrait of the father, or patriarch, or holy image, seems a fusion of the myth of the wandering Jew with that of the Christ child, the theme that even in death there shall be life, that we cannot really be destroyed. Art asserts this creative spirit even in its wildest, darkest moments. Art, by its very nature, is an act of faith, of affirmation. How beautiful, how much a part of us seem, the works of Gisselbertus, Stone images thronging like dreams, even though for centuries they were covered over by oblivion and neglect. His figures, though intended to illustrate biblical stories, do not have the rigidity of allegory or illustration, but seem to come out of the chaos and seem to return to the chaos before our very eyes. Yet though not moving, though only seeming to move, rising out of a sea of dreams, the unconscious, which Pasternak says is the sea of the soul where all things are and will be forever, who could be more modern than Gisselbertus? Who could be older than Chagall? We see in Chiselbertus, as in Chagall, the terribly human faces with moon-calf eyes and great wings and long bird limbs and bird feet and hands-like feet, long and flat hands laid upon musical instruments, hands laid upon the cheeks like the mute sign for the mother, hands laid upon hands, hands flying like the wings of birds. We see these people who are half angels and half birds, half horses and half people, half of this world and half of the next or the last. Gisalbertus carves great stone figures with their great wings folding around them like pearl-mantled balloons. The wind blowing with musical motion through stone shrouds, cherubs of everlasting creation, twinkling among the folds of stone, hands circling, hands describing circles and semicircles like the forms of creation, hands carrying great keys, hands carrying doors, 
hands carrying ships, for they are building the creation as they live in it. And as Pasternak said of the sea, its sense is never complete. The work of art is never finished as the work of God is never finished. We see the colorless stones which seem to glow as with Roald's Byzantine jewels, the feet standing on seashells, reminding us that Venus and Mary were one. <clears throat> the feet standing on flowers, some who walk over the heads of others, women dreaming of horses as in Chagall's paintings, rhythmical figures of stone upon stone drifting like cloud over cloud, winged mothers with their wingless children or children flapping their arms like the wings of birds. The child clutched the breast of the woman in flight, as in Sean's picture of the maternal father in flight with his child. Figures as peaceful as those of Bernini dreaming his immortal transfigurations. Figures singing like fountains of song, roosters crowing as a sign of resurrection, as in Chagall's paintings. Strange beings of the unconscious, beings who never were, but who are less fearful than the, those promised by the men who would destroy this earth. So in art, let us place our faith. An art which, <clears throat> like the wandering Jew, cannot die as long as man endures. Art which is the eternal child. Art which is the man and the woman in the dream of creation. Pasternak wrote that he was the eyeball of a horse. It is interesting to note that he was the eyeball of a horse, not of a man. He saw all things in this creative light which could not be walled in by any state and knows no east or west. He too was a wandering Jew, albeit one who wandered only in his mind. Let us wander in our minds. Let us search for beauty and truth in that religious truth which may be found in great works of art, whatever faith they may arise from, perhaps our only security in a world of chaos, a world which may crumble. Better that it should crumble into man's creative dreams than into nothingness. This uh, was untraced circa 1965-66, so I do not know where it was published. This is probably one of the closest... Um, essays that uh, by this time she was done with Miss Macintosh, my darling. So this is probably one of the closest essays that comes to her recapping what she's been working on for the past 18 years. Okay, I do want to clarify because this was older and I did do it in Miss Macintosh, but I do want to give some background to it. Um, I know I did it, like I said, I know I did it uh, in um, uh, Into All My Darlings. There's three volumes, so somewhere in there I know I put this in there. Um, because I looked up uh, Wandering Jew, and it was um, a mythical immortal man whose legend began to spread in Europe in the 13th century. In the original legend, a Jew who taunted Jesus on the way of the crucifixion was then cursed to walk the earth until the second coming. The exact nature of the wanderer's indiscretion varies in different versions of the tale as do aspects of his character. Sometimes he is said to be a shoemaker or, tr or other tradesman, while sometimes he's the doorman at the state of Pontius Pilate. Um, this is from Wikipedia. Um, so I think... Uh, Uh, Miss McIntosh was saying that it, you know, it might not even be a curse, but a benediction, and that it represents all of us, all of us that are, that are left to wander the earth until, uh, uh, in Christianity, until things are resolved, and um, and she's speaking very much of her times, um, having lived through the Great Depression and World War II, um, 
Civil War, probably the Vietnam War was uh, ramping up at that time. What, what did I say? World War II, not Civil War, sorry. <laughs> World War II, the Civil Rights Movement, and um, uh, all of that upheaval. There were a lot of things that she lived to, that she lived through and was able to experience. So I'm, uh, that was a big influence, I think, on her and on what she wrote uh, in Mass Macintosh, My Darling. And I think that's, that's one of the essays that most closely kind of mirrors what she, what she had just finished, what she had just accomplished uh, with that epic novel. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. Bye.